Hey gang, it's Johnny. I've got some really sad news. Uh, an old pal of mine and legendary Texas country singer Charlie Robeson passed away over the weekend. Uh, such a sad, sad loss to the music community, to his family. Um, his sister Robin, his brother Bruce are good friends of mine and I hope that they're they're hanging in there and hanging strong and the rest of his family. I know he's got kids and stuff. Uh, I, I was never super close with Charlie, but in the 90s we did hang out some and it was a lot of fun always a lot of fun he always made me laugh and uh mostly they were they were late night hangs but uh but yeah he always made me laugh and i remember being on a songwriter in the round with him and chris mckay is a songwriter that lived here in the 90s uh she had these songwriter in the rounds at lazona rosa and i remember being on one with him and like uh the guy richard that was in mr rocket baby with me we were all on the songwriting round, all went back to my house afterwards and like played board games and got drunk. It was really, really fun. And um, just, he was a, always a really nice guy and really supportive. And uh, again, you know, my heart goes out to Bruce and Robin, his brother and sister and all of his family, his kids, everyone, everyone that was close to him. Um, he'll be missed. You know, I haven't seen him much in the last 25 years, except I did see him at the airport sometime in the last like seven years or so. I remember running into him and then sitting down and having a coffee with him and just kind of like laughing about the old times and what he's been up to and what I've been up to. Anyway, always a sweet guy. Uh, he'll be missed by everyone. Rest in peace, Charlie Robeson. You're loved. If I ever get out that way, I'll see you in Dallas. But I won't have long to stay if you're ever out west, son. And you're feeling like slowing down, I'll see you around, around my hometown. Gang, for over a year now, I've been talking about True Hemp Science Full Spectrum CBD oils and how they've reduced my anxiety and helped me get better sleep without waking up feeling foggy and confused. I've also talked about the Full Spectrum CBD bombs that relieved my hand pain last year and made playing piano and guitar much easier. Well, gang, today I'm going to tell you about True Hemp Science organic gummies made with Full Spectrum hemp oil that are available now. They come in two different gauges. There are five uh, 50 milligram ones that have 50 milligrams of CBD and 1.5 milligrams of THC. Then there are ones that are 100 milligrams of CBD and 5 milligrams of THC. Absolutely delicious uh, lemon lime slash orange flavors and also watermelon black cherry flavors. Super, super delicious. Now, now they also have a complete line of full spectrum CBD products, including oils, tinctures, skincare lotions, sports rubs, chocolates, gummies, all kinds of stuff. Well, gang, How Did I Get Here has teamed up with True Hemp Science to bring you a very special offer that benefits all of us. Spend $100 or more at TrueHempScience.com and you will get a free gift. Just enter the code HDIGH at checkout. There's a little code placed there for you to enter it, HDIGH, and you will get a free gift with purchase. That's right. Go to TrueHempScience.com and balance your body and mind with True Hemp Science. Let's get down.
I'm Johnny. I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys have all had a good weekend, whatever it is you did this weekend. I had a really good weekend, gang. I did, man. Uh, Skyrocket got back to work, which is great because it's been a slow summer uh, playing-wise, gig-wise, and stuff like that. So we played on Thursday night for this Caritas benefit, Caritas of Austin, which helps homeless people and feeds homeless people here in Austin. We were able to play this this, uh, fundraiser for them, which was great. And it was at the Long Center, but it was outside in the Long Center. And it was like 106, I think, that day, like around the time that we loaded in and sound checked. It was so hot when we sound checked that, like, I could only sound check for a couple minutes with my computer before it just froze up or heated, overheated and just stopped working. The gig was fine, though. And then uh, Friday night, we played at 310 Austin City Limits Live. It was fucking awesome. It was super fun. We did an all-ladies show. It was sold out. The crowd was super into it. We did we we did we did challenge them at one point by doing Valley Girl by Moon Zappa and Frank Zappa. I don't know if you remember that song, but uh, that song kind of has disappeared as a song. But but you know when we were going through songs to do for this '80s show, we we were talking about that song. We were like that song totally changed the way the American youth spoke for, for forever after that. I mean everything like totally. Uh, gag me with the spoon, like barf me out. I mean, like go listen to that song. That's where all that stuff came from that people went on saying forever. Anyway, uh, we played that song and it really did sort of baffle the crowd. It was a sold out crowd. And I don't know if that's the best thing to do because Frank Zappa makes this challenging music and uh, challenging a crowd that's there to hear all these hits from the 80s. It was a little weird, but 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 it was a really great performance of it. Trish really fucking killed it. And uh, we learned it's like the backing vocal parts are pretty complex. It's like a, almost like a barbershop kind of thing. But we were doing it and it sounded great and it felt great and it was pretty hilarious. And it was it was from from the musician standpoint, watching the audience go like, what? What is it? What? What's happening? Uh, it was pretty fun. And if you haven't heard Valley Girl in a long time, go back and listen to it. and You'll know what I'm talking about. It's pretty crazy. Um, Saturday, I did not do uh, really anything. I just chilled out, just chilled out with Rosie, went and got Rosie. Uh, from my cousin's house, and uh, and we ended up chilling out all that day, going to sleep early. Uh, Sunday, I went to the final performance of Head Over Heels, the Go-Go's musical, at uh, Zach Scott Theater here. My friend Kathy Valentine from the Go-Go's was musical directing the whole thing. And uh, all my other friends, uh, Christy McInnes was playing drums, who I play with a lot, and who's in the Blue Bonnets. Eve Monse from the Blue Bonnets, who I played with for a long time. And my friend Emily Gimble was playing keyboards. And it was really cool, man. The band is on stage during the show. I mean, I guess you can't go see it now unless it's coming to a town near you or unless they resurrect it or something. But shit, man, it was really good. The band is on stage playing, and so you get to watch them the whole time. And they're obviously playing Go-Go's. It's like a jukebox musical where they play Go-Go's music, but there's a story that's kind of like a Shakespeare-esque kind of story with like modern uh, modern sensibilities put in. It's very, very 2023, uh, pretty woke uh, uh, play. But it was great. It was great. I had a really good time. And the music was fantastic. And, and watching them play was super fun. And it was nice going to the theater. I've never been to that Zach Scott Theater, the new one over there, right down the street from my house on Riverside. So uh, I did go down there and I had a really good time and enjoyed the show. Saw my friend Nanette, uh, met some people in the lobby that had been at the Skyrocket show. They were really nice. It was nice to see them. And uh, and yeah, overall, a really fun weekend. Uh, gang, I have an incredible show for you today. I do. I am so excited about this show. 
Jock Bartley from legendary 70s band Firefall is my guest on the show today, man. Yeah, you know Firefall, man. They had hits like uh, Just Remember I Love You, Strange Way, and of course this classic. Here, check it out. You are the woman that I've always dreamed of. I knew it from the start. I saw your face and that's the last I've seen of my heart. Right? Yeah, man, Jock Barkley and I have a really great conversation. They have a brand new record called Friends and Family. It drops on September 22nd on Sunset Boulevard Records. And this album is a tribute. Friends and Family is a tribute to their friends and musical family. That's right, man. They do all, they cover a bunch of songs by bands they were friends with, bands they toured with, bands that some of the members came from or went on to, like uh, they do a Spirit song, they do I Got a Line on You by Spirit, and they do What About Love by Heart because their bass player Mark Andes came from the band Spirit and then went on to play with Heart after, after Firefall. I think he still does shows with Firefall and stuff like that. I've known Mark for a long time and I'd love to get him on the show and hear his whole story. Anyway, they do all kinds of cover songs. Uh, uh, they do a Birds song because their drummer, Michael Clark, uh, their original drummer, Michael Clark, came from the Birds. Um, uh, the bands sort of like came from uh, Jock Bartley himself played with Graham Parsons. He was on tour with Graham Parsons as a guitar player, I guess, on the last tour that Graham did. We have a really interesting conversation about that. Like he's got a really great insight to Graham and what was going on with him at the time like towards the end of his life there when he was putting out his solo music. But um, I hear the whole story about Firefall. And check this out. This is really interesting. Uh, about a month and a half ago, I was on tour with Fastball, and I went to Grand Rapids, Michigan. I had dinner with my mentor there, Mark Hallman, who lives up there during the summer because it's too hot in Texas. But uh, he, he was living in Colorado at the time that Firefall formed. He had a band called Navarro. And Jock and, uh, and the guys were looking to have Hallman join and be in their band but he went ahead and stayed in navarro their bass player mark andes left navarro and went to play with firefall but it's all just like a mixture of all this stuff and this record friends and family really reflects that whole thing and so anyway jock and i have a fantastic conversation about him playing with graham parsons in the early 70s then when he started forming uh firefall in 1974 and uh, and all the records that they made, like going to Miami and working in Criteria Studios with legendary producer Tom Dowd and all the people that were hanging out there during the time. Really great conversation. Uh, they sound better than ever. These covers are all great, great, great tributes to these songs from their friends and family. Get out there and check it out. You're going to hear Long Train Running, which is great. This record drops on September 22nd, as I said, on Sunset Boulevard Records. They'll also be on tour most weekends. Uh, from September to November. So they're out there now. Go to Firefall Official and see if they're coming to a town near you. That's firefallofficial.com. Get involved with them there. Jock and I have a fantastic conversation. I want to thank my uh, my old mentor, Mark Hallman, for the insight. Before I went into the conversation, I want to thank my friend, Wendy, from Hello, Wendy. And without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jock Bartley from legendary 70s band, maybe a yacht rock band. I don't know. Let me know if you think so. Jock Bartley from Firefall. Let's get down. Without love 
You are the woman, like the beginning of that song puts me in the backseat of my mom's car in the 70s. Uh, amazing feeling. I'm 54, so it takes me right back to a place where I remember where yeah. I was hearing that Ain't song. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Whenever I hear the zombie, she's not there. Yeah. Within about a second, I'm transported back to whenever. Yeah. Back to being a kid in that place. Yeah. It's amazing. Are we, have we started already? Yeah, 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 we did. But, um, oh, okay, good. This friends and family record is amazing. I want to get into that because I'm sure there's a lot of uh, history and a lot of your story connected to all of these songs. But as part of your story, um, my mentor and a guy I've known since I was 13, Mark Hallman. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, he introduced me to Mark Andes when I was 14 and he was playing with Hart. Uh, but I had dinner with Mark Hallman in Grand Rapids, Michigan uh, last weekend. And I told him I was going to be wow. talking to you. And, uh, and he had a lot of great things to say about you. And one of the things I didn't know until he said it, and then I watched it on a, uh, some video on YouTube I found about Firefall, was that he was initially asked to join? Yeah, but early on, we didn't know exactly what it was going to be. Right. Um, I will tell you, uh, Mark Hallman was basically the leader and the primary singer in, in, um, Navar- oh God, Navarro. why can't I think of Navarro, yeah. duh. Yeah, yeah. And Mark Andes was the original bassist in Navarro at the time when, really amazingly, so many of the Southern California rock stars got sick of L.A. and moved to the mountains above Boulder, Colorado. Right. You know, Stephen Still, Chris Hillman, Richie Fury, Joe Walsh, Dan Fogelberg, Brian Wilson, not Brian, uh, Carl Wilson of the Beach Boys. And, you know, me being a Boulder guy, you know, all of a sudden, you know, and for instance, when Firefall was just starting to play after Michael Clark had joined the band, um, we'd be playing the Good Earth and Stills would walk in or Fogelberg or Joe Walsh would walk in to sit in. And, you know, and here we were, an unknown band that already was on kind of a little bit different level. But what was interesting about Navarro is, uh, well, first of all, they were really good. As you know, yeah. um, many of them went and became Carol King's backup band. Correct. Um, and Mark Andes, it was interesting how that whole thing happened. Um, I met Rick Roberts in New York City when I was playing with Graham Parsons, Emmy Lou Harris, and the Fallen Angels. Amazing also, by the way. Yeah, Rick had um, replaced Graham and the Burrito Brothers. And then, in fact, in Washington, D.C., a year earlier, probably 72 or something, um, Burritos played in um, uh, in Washington, D.C., and Rick heard about this amazing girl singer, and he took a cab down to the club and saw Emmy Lou Harrison, basically discovered Emmy Lou. Wow. And he called, he called Chris back in the hotel and Chris said, I'm in bed. You, you shit. You know, I don't want to get up. <laughs> oh no, you got to come here. This goes, Rick, what the hell about, he talked him into coming out. Chris takes a cab, comes down to see Emmy Lou. 
you know, the angels thing. And uh, a few days later or a few weeks later, Chris called his buddy Graham Parson and said, I think, I think we found the female singer you've been looking for. And what's interesting was, so Graham and Emmy Lou and the Fallen Angels, you know, uh, James Burton, Elvis wasn't going to let James Burton go on the road with anybody else. Right. And Clarence White was in the birds and they hired a, a guitar player who ended up being mostly acoustic player kind of sucked their first gig in Boulder um, uh, on the road, uh, on the bus trip in Boulder, Colorado, the manager calls me and says, you should get down here, man. You might get a gig. I went, what? Um, and have, ha- having to be reminded who Graham Parsons was. Oh yeah. The burrito brothers. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Um, I ended up, they played two, two gigs in Boulder. I heard him the first night. Fell in love with Emmy Lou on stage. Just amazing. Sure. Um, tried out with them the second night. Sat next, you know, plugged in my amp right next to where the guitar player guy that I would replace and played a set. And, um, you know, after the gig, they had a vote. I don't think I've ever <laughs> told this to anybody. They had, they had a vote and they said, well, Jock is a, we need, basically, we need three things from our guitar player. We need a good rhythm guitar player, and he's, he's that. We need a good soloist in a rock vein, and, and he's that. And we need a really good country picker, and he's not that at all. I, was, I, I had no experience with country music at all, and, you know, and country licks, and I was, you know... I was trying, but boy, I was no James Burton for sure. And, um, and they said, yeah, but the the guy we got, he's zero out of three. So two out of three, zero out of three any day. And I got hired and had to leave in the bus in the, in the you know, uh, uh, at 9am the next morning, our first gig. The first, and I learned Neil Flans, the late great steel player, um, he had a little turntable and then the bus where, you know, drinking and smoking and carousing was going on, you know, Neil took me to the back of the bus and would try to drop the needle on the, so I could learn this one important James Burton lick, right, you right. know, off, off Graham's record. Anyway, where this story is going is in, um, on our second gig in Liberty Hall in Houston, uh, we played three or four nights, and on the last night, we're playing on stage, and onto the stage walks Neil Young and Linda Ronstadt. Wow. And both who knew Graham out in L.A. Right, right. Uh, the Graham, Graham, the rich boy who bought nudie suits, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> they, they knew him out in L.A., and the amazing thing was is that's the first time Linda Ronstadt and Amy Lou Harris ever met or sang together. Wow. So we they sat in on two songs, you know, on our encore. And Neil said, come on back to the, I got a great suite. Come on back. And all three bands, Neil Young's band, Linda Ronstadt's band, and Grant Parsons' band, all went back to Neil's uh, suite and, you know, drank and smoked and caroused and got to meet each other. And it was just great. Immediately, as I saw him do three or four times, 
Um, Graham immediately picked up an acoustic guitar of Neil Young's and started playing like 20 country songs. You know, that's what he did. Yeah. Uh, when there was a party, you know, and the thing was, was Emmy Lou and Linda sat about five feet away from him face to face, about six inches away and sang together, blending their voices, um, for the very first time. And song after song after song, you know, they were just spontaneously singing harmonies and everybody in attendance at the party was like going, it was obviously incredibly magical, but it was historic too. I mean, right. Shit. Graham, Emmy Lou and Linda Ronstadt. Wow. Yeah. You know, and what's funny about this intertwining shit, Linda Ronstadt had a big hit with Rick Roberts's Colorado a couple of years earlier. Right. You know, and then Rick discovers Emmy Lou Harris. So, um, anyway, to get back to the story. So I met Rick in New York city and he came to see Graham, who he had replaced in the burritos, who was drinking pretty heavily then. And, uh, came to see Emmy Lou, who he discovered a year earlier. Right. You know, and here's the band. And I wasn't a very good country player, so he wasn't too impressed with me. You know, but we talked. That, that night, too, I met Dave Mason and got to jam with Dave Mason. And I'm going, shit, all these rock stars I'm meeting, and I'm a guy from Boulder. Yeah, yeah. paints houses. <laughs> it's like, wow. Um, you know, so, Rick, you live in Boulder? I live in Boulder, too. Hey, let's get together. So we get back to Boulder and I was, I, I had his number and I kept calling him and he's kind of going, this guy wasn't that good in the, in the country rock band. Right. He was no James Burton kind of guy. You know, and he comes to a club where I'm playing with the Tim Goodman band and, uh, um, Stanley Sheldon, who would later be in Peter Frampton's band was the bass player. And we kicked ass and, and I was in my element just playing rock and roll like I do. And, uh, Rick saw me and went, this is the same guy. And we met, he basically stole me from the Tim Goodman band and said, I need a guitar player for my third solo album I'm making. And you sound like you're it. I went great. And so I started working with Rick and this is where the story gets really interesting and faded to me. Um, and I, you know, and I was going to play in his third solo record, but then Mark Andes, who was in Navarro, and had moved into uh, Colorado just like Steven Stills and all the other people had, yeah. you know, started jamming with Rick and I. And immediately, it didn't sound like a solo record. It felt like a band. Right. And Rick said, Rick said to me, I said to Mark and I, um, I know this guy in Washington, D.C., Larry Burnett. He sings great. He writes great. He and I blend well together. Do you want to hear a song of his? We said, sure. This was long before cassette tapes had been invented. So Rick put on a big reel and played Larry's song. And the first song we heard was Cinderella. Oh, shit. And we, and we just went, ah, get him out here. <laughs> yeah. And so here's the end of the story, which is, I think why Firefall was really successful. Um, so Rick flew Larry out and we started rehearsing, didn't have a band name, didn't have any gigs, didn't even really have a drummer. Michael hadn't come out yet. We were just kind of filling in with some local drummers, trying it out. 
Um, but from the first week of practice with Rick and Larry, the singer-songwriters, Jock, the lead guitar player, and Mark, the bass player, um, and the other two guys played acoustic guitars and, and rhythm guitars, um, we had 20 to 25 original songs to work out in that first week, written by Rick Roberts and Larry Burnett. Wow. And it was amazing. And they were all quality songs. And four or five of them, a year and a half later, after we got a record deal, were on the record. It was Mexico and It Doesn't Matter and Living Ain't Living and Cinderella. It's like, we're working at, in the first week, songs of that caliber that would make the record. Wow. And you and I both know that when, if you're starting a band, yeah. hey, let's get together, you know, you don't know what you're going to play or sound like or, you know, can we write some songs or, you know, it's, you got to figure out what you kind of want to do as Correct. a band. We had all the songs in front of us. And Rick, having had a big hit with Colorado with Linda Ronstadt and having been in the L.A. scene and known the Eagles and the Breeder Brothers and all that kind of stuff. And Mark Andes, you know, he had a gold record with Spirit. You know, it's like, and then Michael Clark came on the scene. We knew where we wanted to go. And we felt we had the lineup and the songs to do it and, uh, you know, went after it. But that first week, can you imagine having that many good songs I can't even... to, to experiment with? Yeah, that's amazing. So how did you guys end up catching the eye of Atlantic? And that, like, did you guys submit demos or what? Did they happen to see you somewhere? What happened? So Chris Hillman from the Birds, who had played forever with Michael in the Burritos too, um, he produced our demo tape that was paid for by Warner Brothers. Michael Austin, Moe's son, lived in Boulder and really liked it. Oh, awesome. Dad, you got to hear these guys, to Moe Austin. Yeah. So we made a three-song demo tape and sent it out to Warner Brothers, and Mo Austin didn't like it. He said, I'll pass. You know, and I think we spent $1,000 in the studio or something. And so suddenly we were free agents. And Rick's manager started shopping to labels, and Atlantic seemed like they were interested. Well, at that time, Firefall... You know, we, you know, we weren't really playing a lot. Rick Roberts went out and joined Stephen Stills' band for uh, six months or three months. Um, then, myself and Rick Roberts went out with the Chris Hillman band, just playing gigs as Chris and playing bird songs and stuff like that. Then Mark Andes joined us so Chris could play mandolin more. So we're out on the road playing a week or two worth of gigs as the Chris Hillman band and Chris starts not feeling really well and when he gets to New York for the first of our three day stint at the uh, other end um, you know he went to the doctor and found out he was really sick and the doctor said go home and so he played that first night and took a flight home and the other end was kind of freaking out because Chris Hillman owed him two more nights. And Rick, and Rick Roberts said, hey, we're in a band Firefall. Three of us are here, me, Mark, and Jock. And uh, we could fly Michael Clark and Larry Burnett out and have them here. And we could finish the two nights at the other end. And the guy said, great. You know, and so it worked out. 
we bought the same day ticket for those two guys out and we played in New York city and Atlantic records had about five guys there for our first show and liked it on our second show filling in for the Chris Holman band in New York city. There was more Atlantic records guys and Ahmet Erdogan was even there. Oh wow. And they liked this. And two weeks later they offered us a seven year record deal. Wow. And, you know, it wouldn't have happened had Chris not got really sick. Yeah. Sorry, it's Chris. funny how things happen sometimes. Wow. That's amazing. What a fantastic story, man. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. There's, there's been so many, you know, fantastic stories and events in my career looking back. And they're still, they're still happening, thank God. And, uh, you know, there's just so many great things. I just, it humbles you and it makes me appreciate the great break I got and being at the right place at the right time. But also when the window of opportunity opened for me, I was playing really good and I was ready. Yeah. Not so much for Graham Parsons. I wasn't really kind of <laughs> ready to be a country player, but that was the window that I jumped through and, and they, you know, uh, I've been told that without me joining the band and and replacing the guitar player, there was talk of canceling the Grand Parsons tour wow. because we need a guitar player. Yeah, and our guy can't can't play. So even though I was limping along trying to learn how to play country music, uh, the gigs went on and and it was fantastic. And I mean, talk about historic. Yeah, and well, when I went and when I went home from our last gig in Boston, and and Graham and Amy Lou and Phil Kaufman flew to, you know, flew to L.A., had a couple of picnics, picked some songs, and went in to start his second record. Wow! And you know, and I was wondering if I would have a gig in the future, and um, you know, which I should have known I probably wouldn't have been not a country guy, but. Um, they made their second record and Graham finished his last lead vocal on the album that would be Grievous Angel. Right. And that very night went out to party and with a new girlfriend out in, um, out in Joshua tree and ended up unfortunately ODing yeah. and that whole story. Crazy. Strange what was, stuff. What was he like, like to work with? Was he, uh, was he very connected and like, uh, you know what I mean? Like what kind of band leader was he? What was he? What was his... That's a really good question. And part of my blockade goes up because you know, you have to kind of be careful what you say about Graham Parsons. Sure. Yeah. Because he's, he's a, you know, just, godlike figure you know for having invented country rock music which he did along with buffalo springfield and early poco the rest of the band and rick rick nelson yeah and and uh mike nesma from the monkeys right you know all all of that um but yeah graham was amazing i will say that 
when I when I got asked to join the band and I got the gig, the reason I joined was really because of Emmy Lou and she was just so spectacular. Yeah. You know, just oh my God. Yeah. Being a band with her, amazing. And they offered me a thousand bucks a month for a month and a half or whatever it was. And I went, a thousand dollars. I'd never even conceptualized a thousand dollars before. Yeah. You know, now it's a month and a half worth of whatever, but you know, and so I took the gig. Graham was wasn't he was the band leader, but he was not really be the leader. You know, Phil Kaufman would jump in and say, "Okay, we got to go do this okay, now." Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff. And vocally and stage wise, Emmy Lou kept Graham together. And you know, um, Graham was uh, was going downhill and was drinking too much. But boy, I'll tell you what, when we, when those guys sang together live on stage, you know, that blend was one of the best country blends ever. Magical. Speaking of that, like that, there's definitely like an identity, uh, to so many bands, especially like vocal bands like Firefall where, uh, did that vocal blend and that sound that we all know as fans, did that come very naturally like as soon as you guys started singing you had this vocal sound together that was just like oh shit we hit it well the answer to that question is our two singer songwriters rick roberts who wrote all the hits and larry burnett who wrote all the darker rock stuff right um the way their voices blended together was it ricky was a real clean you know, precise, full, clean kind of voice, you know, and Larry's was, was really the, the uh, emotional part of that blend with his lower voice that was scratchy. And I don't know, it was a magical blend, you know, and, uh, they were great singing together. So in answer to, did we have to work on what their songs sounded like? Not at all. Wow. That's amazing. You know, yeah. It was, it was, it was, we worked on the arrangements and I think we should get to the chorus quicker here or, you know, stuff like that. But with them strumming their songs and me and Mark and the drummer just joining in and playing, it fell together real quick. And we didn't have to try to sound like anybody else. We sounded like us. Yeah. Yeah. And when Michael Clark got on there, you know, to be in a band with a guy from the birds who was my, were my American hero. Yeah. You know, the birds, you know, and then Mark Andes, Michael Clark was the king of four four who didn't do anything fancy. I mean, you know, and, and in fact got hired because he looked looked like Brian Jones kind of before he learned how to play drums. You know, and Hal Blaine and the wrecking crew played on Mr. Tambourine Man right, and right. all that. But Michael when he learned, he had a pretty unique style and played good. You know, when he was when he was uh sober and doing good, he played great. So having the king of 4-4 paired with Mark Andes, who was the opposite of some country bass player going one five one five, you know, right, right, Mark was, right. you know, from the prog rock spirit band or whatever you would call it. it yeah. Spirit was such a different band. You know, they were one of a kind back then. That set it up for me as lead guitar player, because that give, gave me very inventive and together tracks to do my magic on sure so we didn't ever have to try to sound like 
Firefall. We just did. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you guys, I'll bet it was, it was, it had to have been the same with the Eagles sure. when you put Henley and Fry and, you know, and Randy Meisner together and they started working out songs. They sounded like the damn Eagles. Yeah. 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 It's funny. That, that's, uh, that's one of those magical things about, about bands uh, like vocal bands, like, uh, Queen, like, uh, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, the Eagles, the Birds, you know, all of these, like, uh, well, Emmy Lou and, and Graham and you guys, you know, yep. and Poco and Little River Band. Little and River Band. There's so many. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many. Um, so you guys, you went to record, you did your first three records at Criteria in Miami. <laughs> yeah. Which was funny because in Boulder, <laughs> we could have driven up 20 miles and right. gone to Caribou. Right. Right. And, Caribou at that time. I mean, they had Michael Jackson and John Lennon, and it was Chicago's home studio. Right, right. You know, they had a 24-hour lockout policy for three grand a day. They wouldn't do hours. Three grand a day, pal. You know, and we we figured out, God, you know, we'll eat up half of our budget within the first two <laughs> weeks. And I was like, geez, you know, we're a new band, so we figured out that it was going to be cheaper to go to criteria, fly everybody down there and get a hotel and make the record than driving up to Netherlands and going to Caribou, which was a great, great thing because criteria for anybody who doesn't know, you know, they had, uh, Oh my gosh, the Bee Gees, Eric Clapton, Dave Mason, Crosby, Stills and Nash. You know, on and on and Tom on. Tom Dowd moved great down there. Albums and artists. What'd right? you think? Wasn't that Tom Dowd's home studio during that era too? Right? You guys did a record with him. Yeah. Yep. Well, we got to do one with him. Oh, just amazing! And well, I got a criteria story for you. Um, so I knew on the first record, uh, the winter of seventy five, seventy six, we were making <clears throat> that my probably my highlight song as a lead guitar player to show my stuff was on Mexico, Ricky's Mexico. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, I had played it two years in preparation for that. And I, I just burned on it and I was born to play on that song. And, you know, if he, if I'm kind of, I'm a real right brain player. I don't really think about what I'm playing. You know, you just play. Yeah. And it's really cool when you're playing something new that's never really, the song hasn't been created yet, so you don't know what the solo needs to be, and you just try it and you play. Anyway, I'm in the, I'm warming up. People are in and out of the control room in Miami. Jim Mason, the producer, pushes the button. You ready to go? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. And so we start the song, and what I do a lot is I answer back vocal passages yeah. in the middles of verses and stuff, and I'll either play something similar or something totally different or whatever hits it's my right brain at that moment. Um, I'm playing, going great. Second verse, going great, sounding good. Bah! Go, here's my solo. We're playing the solo. And in the back of my head, I'm going, I don't know where the horns are going to come in. Da-da-da-da-da! You know, the mariachi horns that we had right. just added. Um, so, you know, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing, and then I stop, and there they are. And then I play, and then they play and then I play and then they play and then I finish the solo off and then play some stuff on the way out 
and stop. And it's done. Three, three and a half minutes. And I went kind of, well, I went that went pretty good. And producer pushes the button and said, that was fantastic. Come on in. And I said, Jim, I had no idea where the horn section was going to play. I think I could beat that. So keep everything I did. Let's punch in. You know, give me another track. Let me see if I can beat that with the horn section. I know I can play something better. And he pushed the button and said, no, come on in. I went, no, come on. I, you know, I'm going to start trying to make my one take thing just a little bit better. And he said, no, come on in. I take my guitar off. I'm a little ticked off. I go in the control room. The first person I see is my guitar hero, Eric Clapton, who's been watching me play my one take solo. Wow. It was unbelievable. And I turned into Jackie Gleason, you know, you know, and and he stood up and shook my hand and said, keen playing man and walked out. Only time ever met my hero. But the end of the story is it's a good thing. I didn't know he was there before I played. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't have been able to play anything. I know that. Yeah. (laughs) Or even worse might've overplayed it. Like, Oh wait, he's got to hear this one. He's got to hear right. all the shit I know in this one. In this one so. No, I think I would have underplayed because I've been, you know, I learned, you know, to go into that a little bit. I don't think my, my world famous jazz guitar teacher, Johnny Smith, who had like 14 albums out on Verve and the Blue Note label and all this kind of stuff. I don't know if he ever said this to me, but I learned from watching and just ingesting what, it was as a young kid that as a soloist, if you want to play tasteful solos and you want to play with taste, it's not so much what you play, but what you don't play. Correct. You know, that my, that miles Davis thing, one note works a lot better than 20, Yep. you know? And a lot of times the spaces you leave, even spontaneously, just even stop what you're playing and leave a space gets tension people kind of lean forward in the stairs and yeah. their chairs and you know and then you go boom and you can play one note and release the tension and you take the audience on this little journey with you yeah and you know and i've kind of always gone the other way instead of you know being nervous or oh god clapton's watching me or whatever right right i i don't i don't play more i usually play less yeah yeah, that's the that's the keen thing. That's all of my favorite. All of my heroes are the elegant guys, like uh, Mike Campbell from uh, from Tom Petty. Oh God! Like just a, he knows oh. he knows when he knows when to do it. He doesn't need to be doing it all the time. Oh yeah. well, the thing is, and some guitar players did it and learn it and do it, and a lot of guitar players don't. You need to add the best thing you can play to make the song better. Right. It ain't about, here's my fancy lick, I see how fast I can play. It ain't ego, and it's not about that. It's whatever you play makes makes the song better. Yeah. And, my, you know, Mike Campbell is one of the best examples of that going. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, I, I have a Miami th- question for you. I was born there, and my parents divorced when I was a kid, and I, I went there in the summers and stuff. And in the 70s, my dad's favorite place to go was the Mutiny. And I found out what a sordid scene it was at this place. And uh, a book came out a few years ago about, about it. And I started reading and I realized that like Henley was hanging out there when, when they were there recording and Glenn Fry and Crosby would get lost there for like a week. 
And like, I think they kept like their boats across because the, the, there was a marina across the, the road from it. But anyway, did you ever go there? What's the name of the, the what's mu- the name of the bar? The Mutiny. It was a hotel and it was a restaurant and bar like at the top of it. I don't think Firefall ever either heard about that or was aware of it. And I never went there. Okay. Um, sounds like it would have been fun. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 It was one of those places um, where it was real fun and then people started dying. Like sort of. That, yeah. I mean? Well, yeah. you know, it's funny because the first album of Firefalls, we stayed in the hotel. And then we heard about Home at Last with Cindy and Jerry. And Home at Last were two girls who uh, rented mansions to rock stars, Eric Clapton, 461 Ocean Boulevard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what they would do is they would bring breakfast every morning, and they'd bring dinner or lunch or in the studio or in the mansion, wherever you guys want it. And they cleaned and made your rooms, uh, you know, it was like a hotel service. And they were both gorgeous women, and they, you know, that was what you did in, in Miami. So we did the home at last mansions, you know, uh, for, for two of our albums, which was way, way better than, you know, being in a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. What a good time. I wasn't, I didn't really go out that much in Miami. Um, when we were working, I do remember, and this is kind of a sad story. I, we were, we were making our second record in the summer of, I'm sorry, in the winter of, 76 into 77 and I was about to start solos on our second record and I heard that Jeff Beck and Tommy Bolin were playing at the Sportatorium and I went oh god I should go say hi to Tommy I love Jeff Beck blah 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 you know and then I I was starting I was starting um, solos at like 10am and I went I don't know and I didn't go and that was the night that Tommy Bolin who I had replaced in Zephyr. Right. Um, you know, um, he, he OD'd too. And it's just like, yeah, there's so many people that, you know, we lost. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a sad thing. Uh, that era was so uh, spectacular <laughs> and people were, had so much money and got so insulated. I think that just the level of like loneliness right. and, and sort of like weird, lifestyle that no one was prepared for right and of course every city you went into a big star you know would have you know his favorite drug dealer come by you know and everybody wanted to give you shit yeah you know whether it's uh, hey oh yeah yeah here's a blah 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 or women just like wanted to get next to the big rock star guys and yeah some of uh, some of them didn't didn't really make it in the 70s was but uh, you know, I just had the thought though on our friends and family liner notes. Not only did I want to explain how the concept came by with Firefall band, band members being in other bands, or that we toured with people like the Doobies or Loggins and Messina right. uh, and everything, I realized that I really needed to say we also dedicate this record basically to. Christine McVie, you know, uh, uh, David Crosby, you know, Jeff Beck, Baba Ba, Troy Caldwell, Tommy Caldwell, you know, uh, Gary Rossington, you know, uh, and then Levon Hill, you know, all the people that, 
you know, aren't with us anymore who played a huge role in that 70s thing that you were just describing. Yeah. That was amazing back yeah. then. Yeah. By the way, uh, that chest fever, that version that's fucking, I mean, all these songs, you know, you're starting off with great songs, so that's good, but you guys really play the shit out of them. And you, you really are playing like you're at the top of your game, man. Which is as it should be. You know what I mean? Well, thank you. You should get better. Fortunately, I, yeah. fortunately, I was never a speed burner. Cause no, but there's so I've much got, feel. Sorry, there's so much feel. Oh like, yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm right. I'm a feel guy. I'm getting, I'm getting fairly arthritic too, and it's stopping me from playing rhythm guitar parts that I'd like to play because I can't get there with with the chord yet quick enough. But as a soloist, one note at a time. Yeah, and I really wanted to show. You know, Firefall's no huge band, and a lot of people, you know, have no idea who Firefall is until you sing them, You Are the Woman. Oh, okay. I know those guys. Um, but I've always been a power, you know, from the heart, from the hip, the non-thinking, just let it go yeah. kind of player. And I wanted that to, uh, I wanted to show that on this record. And on the next one, I'm, gonna, I'm planning on it too. Um, because, you know, uh, and the other thing I wanted to do is honor and acknowledge and sometimes copy some of these late great lead guitar players that I was playing their songs up. Yeah. And like on Randy California on, on, uh, um, what can I think of the name of the song? Um, Colorado. Or no, no, uh, 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 spirit song. Right, uh, I got a line, line on, on you. you. Yeah, yeah, their their biggest hit, spirit's biggest hit. You know, I basically played Randy California's solo verbatim because it's so good. Yeah, you know, same thing with on the Dan Fogelberg part of the plan song. Yeah, that that was a that's you know, a real true. I, uh, that's a real true sort of like replication of that song. Right. Yeah. Because you know it was a great solo. I respect. Totally, Dan Fogelberg, and miss him like millions of fans do, and got to play with him a couple of times. Once, the, the last time he played at Red Rocks, I got to sit in and we jammed for a couple of songs, um, which was great. Um, I, you know, I I thought this is I got to play the solo. It's the solo, and then having said that, there's other songs like on uh, Long Train Running by the Doobie Brothers. Right, I was. I was hesitant to have our version of that song, which wasn't my first choice, but I got talked into. That's the one. I went, okay, that's the one. Um, the signature primary guitar part Correct. that Tommy Johnson played, right. you know, I kind of wanted to make that the secondary yeah, guitar yeah, yeah. part and make the other guitar part the main one. Yeah. And then we added sax. And I knew that we weren't following the program. You know, right. we were changing this up yeah. somewhat significantly. And, you know, I've been told that it worked. That was one that I was a little unsure about. And when we turned, when I turned in the album and when we mastered it, mixed it and mastered it, you know, the record label said, well, Doobie Brothers is definitely the first solo. And I kind of went, really? Yeah. Because the truth is, I also knew in the back of my mind there'd be thousands of Doobie Brothers fans pissed off. How dare they even do that song? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which goes back to the whole thing. 
There was a bunch of songs that <laughs> were like hands off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Somebody said when we were talking about, well, what heart song to play? How about Barracuda? I went, no, 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 no. Yeah, we can't do Barracuda. That's not, that's their song. You know, I wouldn't want to do that. And interestingly enough, our new singer, John Basaha, who's also in the babies and is a friggin' great, great singer. He and Steve great Weinmeister. Singer. Oh man, they're great singers. I didn't even care if I sang on this record. I, you know, I'm the bottom part. It's like, but anyway, John said to me when we were talking about it, he said, I, I could really sing what about love really good. And I went, what about love? Oh, okay. Mm, and he did. And he, he does. Did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in fact, on that song, when we started, because we did a lot of this album separately, I'd cut like four acoustic guitars and electric guitar to a click track and email it off, you know, and we've gotten pretty good at making it sound like we're all playing in the same room together, but only on about half the songs did we, but on that song, once it started developing, you know, it started sounding like strange way. And we wanted to, you know, in, increase that, connection to one of our big hits strange way with a baseline that did kind of the same thing yeah and the flute on the beginning yeah you know yeah i, I want to go back to long train running because there's one other thing about it that you guys did was you made it a little greasier like you gave it a little bit ah. deeper of a groove which it does have a di little difference not as like all right it's like a little more like oh yeah you know what i mean <laughs> i like that yeah too bad they can't see you say that yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it looks a little weird, but what I did first after we picked that song, I decided, even though John could sing it up high in G minor, I decided to put it down to E minor. So it's a lower key. And when I listened to the original, it was, it's quick. Yeah. It's a, it's fast. And I thought, well, let's slow it down a little bit and, dig in just a little bit more. Yeah. So we were in a lower key. We were in a, you know, uh, a slower tempo a little bit. And John sings it nasty and having the, you know, the soulful sax in there. I agree with you. I, I like, I like our groove. Yeah. Yeah. It's on cool. that. And it is, and it is different. Yeah. And I didn't mind doing it a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing how much in the heart of the night sounds like a, a firefall song. Does that did that? Did <laughs> well, that's I, that an was interesting the one, one. What's that? Oh, that was interesting. Go ahead. What were you going to say? That's well, no, the one? That, when that one when that when I got to that one, I was like, "Oh, this isn't them." You know what I mean? Like I was like, "How?" how like it? It's a it's a song that would fit in your catalog as just a song. Well, thanks for saying yeah. that, and. When when we all, and I didn't pick that when I contributed, but when we all picked part of the part of the night, um, and a lot of times I'd ask the guy that I was going to have sing it, Stephen, which Poco song would you like to do? That's a good place to start from. And he said that right away. And over the last 20 years, we got to be great friends with Rusty Young and Paul Cotton because we toured with them all the time. We shared up. We shared a manager and we'd play uh, Poco, Firefall, Pure Prairie gigs, you know, dozens and dozens of them every year. Anyway, anyway, Rusty Young, bless his heart, um, great steel player. And, and 
great dobro player too. And even before I started thinking about what I might play, right? I thought, well, I think I'll try slide guitar and it won't compete with Rusty's steel. And I can't play a lot of those, you know, sinewy chords and stuff right, that, right. you know, wasn't, uh, but I, but I can play good slide guitar yeah. and there is the sax on the song. Okay, let's go. And, um, you know, as soon as we started building that one up and then getting to Steve's vocal and then, you know, me going and saying, I think I want to double that slide guitar and make it sound bigger and, you know, and everything. I like our version. I think the main thing it does is pays homage and respect to the original. And we love Paul Cotton. He was, he is amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, God rest both of their souls. Um, you know, but that, that's how we sounded planet. And, you know, I've been making fireball records for most of my adult life. And, uh, most of the stuff we do on this record probably sounds kind of like fireball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously there's a different sort of, uh, like the, the last record that you guys did comet like that was it, that was all new songs and right songs you guys wrote and stuff. I like boy the one song I and, with, and that's what kind of let nature's way I talked Mark into doing nature's way from Randy Californian spirit right and then I wrote that song that starts the record way back when yeah which was a tribute to how great the 60s music was and as I wrote it it ended up being about 1965, yeah. The Beatles and the Birds. 1967, yeah. Aretha Franklin and Creedence Honor. And 1969, you know, it was just, uh, you know, I, I think that's one of the best songs I ever wrote. Um, and, you know, it's uh, it's cool. And that's a great album. My friend Gary Jones sang that. And, you know, when, you know, when Mark and Gary were leaving, I knew I needed, you know, Steve Weinmeister to join back in. And, uh, and then uh, we found John and I'll tell you what, I've never had a singer in the band. That's an LA rock star guy that can go, ah! yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, get out there and do the, do the rock star thing. Now, both Rick Roberts and Larry Burnett were great singers singing their songs, but they weren't like, you know, Whitney Houston, you know, I right. tell you what, John can, you know, John can hold his own with anybody. Yeah. And, you know, when, you know, I, Geez, I, I don't know. Hey, I got a scoop for you. We're making a Friends and Family 2. Wow. I'm already in. I'm already in three songs. Really? Can you say the songs or at least the artists? I will tell you that we used to play um, So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star with the Birds yeah. as an encore song. And we had that recorded and when it got to choosing, I only wanted, wanted one bird song on this record. You know, I really liked uh, um, Feel a Whole Lot Better. And I said, well, you know, we'll do something else with Rock and Roll Stars. So we already have that one nearly finished. And we're doing a Fleetwood Mac song, which John said, I'd love to do blank. And I went, oh, boy. Um but I will tell you that we're doing Love the One You're With by Stephen Stills. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. And uh, because, again, it's it's wide open, but it's a narrow parameter 
I mean, we we can't do a Crosby, Stills, and Nash song because we didn't have any direct, you know, I mean, some right. some of our guys like Michael Clark and Rick Roberts knew everybody, and, and I knew Stephen Stills and everything, but, but Rick Roberts played with Stephen Stills in Firefall's early history, and, you know, I almost tried to fit in a Stephen Stills song on the first one, and so now it's going to be on the second one, and you know what's interesting? What's if you listen to Love the One You're With by Stephen, the original, it's fast. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, and first thing I did when we started cutting guitars was slow it down and make it a little funkier. Yeah. That's cool, man. So it's it's great. And I know some people, some musicians, you know, some of the masses probably look down their nose at, oh, it's a cover album <laughs> you know but the truth is is we are honoring and respectful of and for a younger generation exposing people to some of the songs from back then correct and hey if you like you know if you like can't you see by firefall and the marshall tucker song go check out the original yeah you know those those southern boys knew how to rock yeah yeah so anyway it's it's really cool and it you know uh there's a certain responsibility about that that uh, i like having as an artist and a producer also i have to say i've been leader of the band for a long long time and I know that I have to keep a really tight rein on what we do live on You Are the Woman, Just Remember I Love You, Cinderella, the Beginning of Strange Way, blah, 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 Correct. because people are paying really good money to come and hear You Are the Woman. Yeah. And they want to just, you know, so I want our band to sound as much like the record as we can. Yeah. You know, and... um having said that firefall is fortunate enough to on some of our fm songs like mexico where i can stretch out right or strange way where the extended latin yeah 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 faster yeah. flute solo happens yeah. we can still go new places every night or play you know play things different and have spontaneity and go you know i'll walk over and i'll you know i'll encourage you know, the sax player to trade licks with me, you know? Right, right. So it's really like it's supposed to be and then loose also. That's great. That's great, man, because you, you get to still have a good time. It's not like a robotic thing. But there is, I'm, I've actually been playing with this band Fastball. Do you know them? They had this yeah. hit the way. So I don't even play on that song. I'm like the auxiliary guy in the band, but they have all this stuff on on uh, on tracks for that song. So it sounds exactly right. like the record. And they're like, that's, we can't, like, we need to do this for the people that came. Like, you know what I mean? Huh. That's what they right. signed up to hear. We're going to give it to them as, as they like it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that until past the point to where the band's not playing or they're not singing or it's all, oh, no, no, you no. know, whatever. They're, no, no, no. Yeah. I'm not saying and that sounds right, great. Right. And I'll tell you what, I wish we played with some tracks. I mean, REO Speedwagon now, they have a lot of their songs that they're playing to. And it's the vocals are just, you know, A++. 
and you know the tracks are great and they sound like the record right. and you know they're playing to some tracks there's yeah. nothing wrong with that it's funny it's funny now isn't it, it though like the last 15 years or so that's like the normal way to do things the way that we go out right. and play like with no tracks is like a, oh really <laughs> how do you do that right. you know what i mean how do you do that yeah i got a story for you we played oh maybe 1977 or something we opened for ELO uh-huh. at the uh, at the Forum in Los Angeles two nights. Wow! At the sold out Forum in Los Angeles, and we played our opening act set like we do. ELO comes out and plays and sounds really great, and you know people are freaking out and three encores and everything, and the gig ends, and we hear the next morning that either the police or some, some authority came and served ELO with papers saying that most of the violin and cello tracks right, and a right. lot of the vocals right. and everything were being played to and on tape and that's illegal. Wow. And they, and they couldn't do it and they canceled the second show because that's what we do. We play with tapes and shit, you know, and, yeah. And they and and whoever it was, the musicians union or whatever, I don't know. Somebody came and closed down that show because they were they weren't playing all the cello and and violin parts that that everybody thought they were. Right, because they only had like four or eight eight string players or something on stage, right? Yeah, That's some small amount. Yeah, but yeah, also, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like it's funny. They hey. used to be against the law. <laughs> Right. Well, you know, of course, being a musician that, you know, sometimes you'll get to do a TV show or something where they want you to play the track and lip sing, but they will open the lead vocalist mic. Right. So it's the the vocalist sing, because usually even laymen, you know, can tell when somebody's lip singing and that they're not really singing the song. But when the vocalist is really singing. Right but you're playing to the track and everybody's just pretending to play up there, you know, Hey, it's your own record. I played that part. Yeah. I'm pretending to play it right now, but Hey, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I saw you guys speaking of those things. I saw, uh, there's a video of you guys on American bandstand and there's like a lady in the band. Oh God. Now there's no, like there's no other record. I was just talking to my friend Todd about this this morning. I'm like, that's, there's, where did she come from? And she got a lot of like Dick Clark really wanted to talk to her a lot. And I'm like, she's not even in the right. band. We only met her that day. <laughs> so, so here you go. We went with hearts manager out of Seattle. We made our record that had staying with it written by somebody else. I forget the guy's name. Great song. Staying with it. You know, you know, um, right. and, we turned in the finished album, mix and mastered, went home, the record's done, yeah. Then we get about two or three weeks later, a phone call from our manager that says, you know, I was talking to Atlantic, and Atlantic and I feel that though Staying With It is a great song and you guys' great version, that it needed something else. And that was right at the time when Stevie Nicks was singing with Tom Petty or, right, right, right. you know, Bob, you know, the duets. And they said, so 
they needed, they wanted to have a girl singer on this, singing with Rick. And I just happened to have one in my stable, our manager. And so we added a girl singer and, and I'll be sending you tomorrow the version with her on it. That's your new single. We went, what? <laughs> what the hell are we talking about here? And when I heard it, it was like, you could tell she was just added on and they'd, and they'd turn off Rick's vocal on a passage and she'd sing it. And then they kind of sang harmony and stuff. And it was okay, but it was like, the record label did that on, on their own without even telling us that they were thinking about it. Right. They just did it, picked the girl who was Ken Kinnear managed and he was hoping to have her get a lot of exposure and have a new record deal and all this stuff, uh, you know, the politics of that. So we go do solid gold and uh, American bandstand and come, come to American bandstand. We met Lisa Nimzo who sang really good. Yeah. We met her 20 minutes before we went on national TV. And Ricky, you know, he, was, he started toward the end of it. He started doing the bump with her. And we're going, oh, God. And, of course, uh, Dick Clark and Solid Gold were both all lip singing. No, no open mic. It right. was just sing to your record. Yeah. So that's a weird story. And. You know, Lisa Nimzo, you know, she's got a cool career going and she sings great. But boy, how that happened. It was like, you've added a girl singer to our new first single? And here, here it is? And you guys love it? You know, it's like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's... that's... I have to tell you that I have... Now, I would love to talk with, with you longer. Right. I have, an ele- I have a one o'clock no newspaper problem. thing here in, in Colorado, but I could just maybe take a second and call her and say, let's make it a few minutes late or whatever. No, but, no, no, we're good. Um, Let, let's do this again sometime, because I feel like this needs a part two. I could talk to you forever, dude. Like, there's, okay. there's no end cool. to this. Well, we got, we got two or three minutes, um, so what's your final question? My final me? stuff is like this record, friends and family, people need to check this out. You're going to be heading out on tour. You're doing most of the weekends uh, between September and November. Right. And and you can pre-order uh, the album on Amazon, Friends and Family, okay. and get it two weeks before it's released in late September. Yep. And Simple Man, you can hear now on Amazon and you can listen to it. And, yeah. you know, our nice, loving rendition of that great Leonard Skinner song. Also an amazing vocal on that song. I mean, amazing. Oh, my God. Jesus. He's great. Yeah, amazing. Uh, he can hold his own with anybody, man. He's he's really great. By the way, John DeSaha, for 10 years, was in the theatrical production of Jesus Christ Superstar, and he was Jesus. Oh, wow. And they toured the world, and he was Jesus up on the cross. It's like, wow. John. <laughs> <laughs> he's got That's the Masonic hey, together. so nice talking to you. Very nice so talking very, to you as very well. very nice talking yeah and uh let's do it again soon yeah we will i uh, look forward to hearing uh friends and family too you got it we'll send you the first copy all right brother take care john thank you all right brother. okay bye-bye thanks Without love. that was jock bartley from legendary 70s band firefall their album friends and family dropped september 22nd on sunset boulevard records you're hearing the their version of long train running 
by the Doobie Brothers there. Go to firefallofficial.com and find out if they're coming to a town near you. Go check them out live while you still can. You know, these guys are out there. They're doing tours, but nobody knows how long people will be on tour anymore. You know, it's getting long. It's getting long. Long train running, baby. (laughs) Hey, gang, when you're out there checking out firefallofficial.com, don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere that you find podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Podcasts. People are listening on Google Podcasts. New shows every Tuesday and every Friday. Uh, if you're new to the show, subscribe. There's tons of people out there. You can hear their conversation. All right. Have a great week, whatever it is you're doing. Let's get down. Love